KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. As we get into the holidays, we've started to see some increased concern again about large gatherings with COVID. Did everyone get their booster shots? How careful do we have to be around grandparents and children? There's always going to be some level of risk, so we thought this would be a good time to check in on the latest COVID treatments. What can you do if you get COVID to make sure your symptoms don't get too extreme? And what happens if you do have to go to the hospital? Are we in good shape with the treatment options we have? Medical professionals aren't necessarily magicians. We don't have all the answers in front of us, but we're doing our best. And I think COVID is a story of how we were able to get to a good treatment after a year and a half, two years of all this craziness. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, we talk with Dr. Stephen Pegkali-Nawan, an assistant professor at Drexel University's College of Medicine, about the COVID treatments that are available now, how they work, and how far the medicine has advanced since the pandemic began. So to start, kind of taking the the 30,000-foot view, because for the longest time, Treatments for COVID were the headlines and you were getting updated on them constantly. And now a few years removed, COVID is still very much a a significant situation, but we don't hear anything about where the progress has been made when it comes to treating COVID. So how would you say, where are we in terms of treatment? How far have we come in the, the, the three, four years? We have come such a long way. So some background I was finishing up my residency as the COVID outbreak had started. Um, And as a result, because of staffing issues and whatnot too, you know, I was given, I I would say the privilege opportunity, but unfortunately it was just like a very scary situation for all to work in the COVID ICUs. And we were really running around like chickens with our heads cut off, not knowing exactly what to do. You know, we did not have antivirals available. We really were just it was like a best guess situation, trying to make sure patients were staying stable on their vents as we tried to uh, get them through their acute illness. Now, flash forward to the last time I had worked in the, in the hospital was this following weekend. I was taking care of a COVID patient. We started remdesivir the day they were admitted, gave some steroid therapy as well. And the next day, their oxygen, the amount of oxygen they needed to breathe went down dramatically. So uh, it's kind of like a night and day picture. How many different treatments are there available, you know, in most situations? I'm not talking maybe somebody that comes in in a dire straits or something like that. But are there multiple options depending upon the, the, the patient that you can like different paths you can take? Yeah. So, you know, the first thing that we look at is uh, what their risk factors are. Are they immunocompromised? Do they have pre-existing conditions or medical history that would predispose them to having worse outcomes? So we kind of stratify patients based off of their medical history. Uh, We look at how much oxygen that they're requiring once they come into the hospital. And after that point, the first go-to for an inpatient hospitalization for COVID nowadays is remdesivir plus steroids. If they are not really responding to the, the initial treatment, uh, we do have another uh, antiviral called baricitinib uh, that uh, is also helpful. And we combine those three to help patients through. But really, that is the mainstay of therapy for inpatient treatment. And then, you know, you contrast that with outpatient uh, therapy, Uh, which would really just be uh, Paxlovid. And then also 
You may have heard of uh, Lagavirio, uh, Molnupiravir, uh, but that one is not, it's not FDA approved. So really, we just use Paxlovid on the outpatient side. And real quick, can you just kind of give us what these treatments do? Like you mentioned remdesivir, like how does that attack COVID? Like how does it help? Yeah, sure. So remdesivir is a medication, uh, part of a class that's uh, called uh, RNA uh, polymerase inhibitors. So basically what that means is it it directly attacks uh, the DNA machinery of uh, the COVID virus itself. And that leads to difficulties in the virus replicating and basically it just involutes and kind of dies off because it's not able to replicate as efficiently because of the medication. And what about the other treatments you mentioned? Just kind of, are they similar in idea or are they different tracks of how they they treat? So the other treatments uh, that I mentioned, you know, Paxlovid and Molnupiravir, they're also medications that in a way affect the viral genetic material from replicating uh, efficiently. So to get into the specifics, Paxlovid is a protease inhibitor, whereas uh, molnupiravir is a nucleoside analog uh, that also inhibits DNA replica- RNA replication. Um, but all that's to say is all three types of COVID treatments just attack at COVID's ability to replicate and in turn uh, allows it to die off without causing um, major issue to a patient. When it comes to inpatient, are you still basically dealing someone whose COVID gets them to the point where they have to be hospitalized, that they're not vaccinated? It happens from time to time. Patients still are hesitant. Some patients have gotten, you know, two or three doses, but were not necessarily up to date on their most recent booster. Um, And we take that into account in trying to figure out what are the chances of this patient uh, developing severe COVID. Uh, I still encourage as many folks out there to get as uh, to get their uh, the newest COVID booster. I got it myself maybe uh, about a month or two ago. Um, Did not feel as bad as my uh, second or third booster. Do you get anyone that has been completely vaccinated that rises to the level of needing some of these treatments, or is that in- incredibly rare? It's a mixed bag. It really just does, it does depend on whether or not they have risk factors and how many COVID boosters that they've had. So, for example, the patient I took care of um, two weekends ago with COVID, they had gotten two COVID boosters, but they just they never got around to getting the most recent uh, monovalent COVID booster that's available uh, that came out a few months ago. And, you know, definitely did require large amounts of oxygen when they presented to the hospital. But uh, the plus side of having COVID nowadays is having remdesivir, steroid steroid therapy available, and if needed, baricitinib. From a time standpoint, about how long are people having to be hospitalized when you see them, you know, getting through these treatments? And how does that compare to, because I mean, we heard people being hospitalized, you know, in the the first couple of years, weeks, you know, when everybody was trying to figure stuff out, like, where are we now? How long do these treatments uh, maybe not get you back to full health, but get people to turn the corner and, you know, get on the, the path to, to getting back to, to health, to full health? Five days. So, uh, I'm going to use that patient as an example from the, the other weekend. 
say that we started remdesivir on day zero, by day two, day three, they were almost completely off of the oxygen and able to walk around without feeling too short of breath. In general, though, uh, the total remdesivir length of therapy is five days. So we do keep them for the five days to make sure that they keep can complete that therapy, even if they're feeling better, using less oxygen, just so that they don't get any rebound symptoms. But typically, patients nowadays are just hospitalized for five days, unless they have, you know, the risk factors that predispose them to prolonged COVID, uh, things that I mentioned before, like immunocompromise, uh, obesity, and those would be instances where I would consider uh, maybe adding on that baricitinib uh, medication. We You mentioned Paxlovid for, you know, people that are just staying home and battling it. Are there cases where maybe that's not even necessary? Like, is it just rest and maybe some Tylenol and, you know, liquids like you would almost attack, you know, the flu or, or a common cold. I'm not equating the two, but like, are we to that point where mild cases, you might not even need that. And if you've been vaccinated and everything, just, you know, take it easy for a couple of days. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So definitely being vaccinated helps to reduce the severity of symptoms. And, you know, this messaging really hasn't changed even since the outbreak of COVID, because even when COVID first started, there were people out there that didn't feel sick. And that's how it spread so quickly that there were these asymptomatic carriers uh, still contagious and they were getting the more um, the more uh, vulnerable uh, folks in our community sick with COVID ending up in the hospital. So it's kind of like you got to look at the law, of, uh, like a law of large numbers, even though you could say that a majority of folks back in the day were um, asymptomatic you know, it still infected enough patients that the hospitals were getting full, not enough people were able to get uh, treatment. Uh, it was just a crazy time. But flash forward to today, I would say uh, that uh, it still holds true. Not everybody needs Paxlovid. Uh, it's definitely a boon for those, though, who have mild symptoms that don't necessarily need to go to the hospital just yet, but do have um, risk factors that may predispose them to developing more severe instances of COVID. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Stephen Pakalinawan right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation with Dr. Stephen Pakalinawan. He is an assistant professor in Drexel's College of Medicine. Is there still room to improve? The therapies, like if you and I talk in a year or two, could we be even better and have even more options? Or for the most part, do you think this will become kind of the standard of care going forward where we are right now? For the most part, I'd say this is a standard of care. Uh, it's been uh, few and far in between. I've had patients that really didn't respond to remdesivir well. That being said, I've also taken care of transplant patients, you know, folks who had been severely immunocompromised at baseline that don't necessarily respond to these therapies as well as somebody with an intact immune system. But really, in terms of outcomes, overall outcomes, uh, remdesivir plus steroid is a pretty good therapy. I'd say that's, at this point, standard of care uh, if you contract COVID and end up needing to be hospitalized. What do you think we've learned from the last few years when it comes to attacking viruses like this? You know, I think what we've learned is that 
if general public needs to know that we don't have, especially with, with respect to pandemics, new and new diseases that kind of come onto the scene, medical professionals aren't necessarily magicians. We don't have all the answers in front of us. It's kind of like, as I mentioned before, a best guess situation, uh, like how it was how it was when COVID first came onto the scene. I, I know in terms of how much COVID had been politicized, there was in certain groups of folks, there has been a broken trust in the medical system, but I would implore the public just to be aware that we're doing our best. And I think COVID is a story of how we were able to get to a good treatment after you know x amount of years after a year and a half two years of all this craziness i will say you know i've had uh loved ones close to me who unfortunately had passed away from covid you know and it was before we knew for sure like what antivirals were effective it was before we had vaccines available and you know it's just it, it gets me when i think about how if you know, my family had just like held out for a couple months longer, we would have had better options out there to treat them. To the point of, you know, within a couple years of how far we came, like, do we need to appreciate that that is pretty remarkable in the, when you kind of put it in the, the puzzle of medical history to go from, oh my God, this thing is new to within three or four years being, oh yeah, you can just do A, B, and C and for the most part, you should be okay. Like that, that seems pretty impressive to me. Am I overstating? No, I'd say it was pretty impressive in terms of how far and how quickly we were able to, you know, utilize resources, utilize the researchers to get the word out there about what treatments worked, what treatments didn't, you know, and, and this is in the early days. I remember being part of like physician, like Facebook groups or group chats, trying to like talk with other uh, doctor friends at other institutions, trying to figure out what were they doing, what was working best for their patients. So there was that there was like a kind of almost like a crowdsourcing collaborative effort trying to make sure that we were doing best by our patients. And you know, I give credit to you know folks like Dr. Fauci trying to you know help lead us in terms of making sure everybody's on the same page of like what works, what doesn't work. And I would say that there were a few hiccups here and there in the beginning of the outbreak where I was a little nervous about where the country was heading in terms of how we were going to deal with this pandemic. But uh, I do feel like we were successful. We've gotten to a point where, you know, I'm not terrified to go into the hospital to take care of my patients with COVID. I know what we can do to make them safe, and I know what we can do to make sure that they get home and not necessarily end up in the ICU with COVID. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.